And um, we would say to our teacher, well, one or two teachers that you knew would say yes. Uh, Any chance we could have a DOS class? Which meant you'd all head outside and not do anything. (laughs) Or the other one was, can we go on a nature trail? Which was a posher way or a nicer way of saying, can we have a DOS class? So there's no Dawson this morning. Seriously. Don't know what you're laughing at. It's so wonderful to be here. Can I just say a huge welcome to anybody who is new with us this morning or who is visiting. You're so welcome. Um, It's such a privilege to be able to worship uh, as Christians. And I was really, really struck by the words in one of the songs that we sung this morning. All creation sings your song, and I will join with them, declaring your glory. I was gone, though. I was gone on that. All creation, all creation, sings your song, and I will join in. That's a choice we make. That's a choice we make, and I hope this morning as we open God's Word that we can be strengthened and that we can be firmly established in our faith so that when we we wake up tomorrow morning in all that we have to face, that we can choose again to say, I will join with creation and declare your glory. As we move closer to our celebration of 25 years, Owen had a brilliant plan of taking a look at Colossians. And um, I would love us all to have a hand on a Bible. So in the church, if you're new, or even if you're not, you may know that there's two types of Bibles. And we're going to be looking at Colossians, which is in the New Testament. And in this Bible, you'll find it on 833, and in this Bible, you'll find the passage 1182, and I would love if you could have a hand on a Bible. So if you could, just take a moment to open up to the relevant page and just keep it there on your lap. I suppose I need to be all modern and everything and mention mobile phones but um, I prefer you to look at a Bible, being a traditionalist that I am. And I know you're not checking your email. So, 25 years of St. Catherine's. We're celebrating that on the 23rd and 24th of June. We're celebrating St. Catherine's and we're celebrating the vision for city outreach through renewal and evangelism. An acronym, CORE, C-O-R-E. And in these weeks leading up to it, Owen's plan is that we look at Colossians in order to allow us to consider what we can learn from the early church. As we celebrate 25 years of the ministry of CORE, City Outreach to Renewal and Evangelism, of which St. Catherine's is a part, and where the vision was born... We do so not just to reflect on all the great things that have happened or to mourn any of the mistakes that have taken place, but we do so also to create a focus, 
to gather momentum, to make plans for the next 25 years and beyond. And in order to do this well, we must not just look at the outworkings of all that has happened. Otherwise, we will stumble into unfruitful duplication. But instead, we must look at the source of the inspiration that kick-started the church and its ministry into being. This inspiration was and is the foundational truth of the gospel. This was the same for the church in Colossae and the reason why Paul wrote to them from a prison cell in Rome around 61 AD. William Allhausen last week did a great job. He started this series on what lessons we can learn from the early church by looking at the letter to Colossians. And we are really blessed to have someone like William, someone of his character and wisdom carrying responsibility of being a trustee of our church. For those of you who were not here last week, and as a reminder for those who were, I will briefly sum up what William shared and then we will open God's word and expect him to speak to us this morning. But before we do, I would love if we could pray. Father God, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you, Father God, that it's you that binds us together. And I pray, Father God, that as we reflect and consider your living word, your holy scripture, that we would be transformed again, transformed afresh. And that, Father God, in that transformation, we would be used as a blessing to this, your creation, your world. Help us, Father God, to to be a signpost, a signpost to your love and your grace, Father God. So speak to us this morning. Come, Father God, and have your way. Amen. William looked at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, which is the greeting and the thanksgiving of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. It's through this that Paul praises this young church for their faith, hope, and love. Paul acknowledges that the church had grown in its brief history and reminds the Colossians that this was because, as in chapter 1, verse 6, they had received God's grace in all its truth. The truth of the gospel had been received and individual lives had been transformed by the grace of God. Where there is Jesus-shaped grace, there is fruit. And this is evident in the lives of the people because of their Christ-like faith, hope and love. It is the fruit that brings about growth. Paul told these early Christians that he prayed that they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that they might have endurance, patience, and joy. Paul prayed that the church would be a thanksgiving people. 
Lesson number one for us today. Be a thanksgiving people. Why? Because of the grace of God. Lesson number two, practice endurance, patience, and joy. I'm reminded at that of a job that Louise, my wife, has been tasked to do in preparing for the 25th celebration. She's been asked to gather and collate photographs and prophecies and passages and words of wisdom that have been spoken over the last 25 years. And in that task, she came across a newsletter that was produced by the church maybe 22 or 3 years ago. And it said this. There was a lovely thing inside the newsletter, a little snippet, and it said, being a Christian means that you are full of joy, hope, and peace. Dot, 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 dot. So why not tell your face? (laughs) I was interested to find out what the temperature of the culture of the church was at that time. And I'm so thankful that today we have our faces matching our spirits and that we're full of joy, hope, and peace. Cue smiling. So why did Paul write to this particular church at this particular time? Was it just to commend their faithfulness? Yes, but it was not just for this reason. It is understood that there were people at this time who were trying to influence the church at Colossae. They were trying to add compulsory beliefs and practices to the truth of the gospel. This has become known as the Colossian heresy. And most scholars will agree that this is the reason why Paul wrote the letter. As William mentioned last Sunday, heresy is anything that adds to or subtracts from the truth about who Jesus is. Look at chapter 2, verse 8 in your Bibles. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. William highlighted last week at at chapter 1, verse 6, that Paul reminded the Colossians that the gospel was bearing fruit among them since the day that they understood God's grace in all its truth. This got me thinking. Is there there objective truth? Is there truth that does not rely on my opinions? Is there truth that stands outside my experience? And in my reflection, I was reminded of a wonderful trip that me and my family had last weekend in Connemara. We went there for the bank holiday weekend, and the sun was so strong that we couldn't come home. (laughs) When we eventually brought our kids back to school, we were greeted by one of the teachers with a wry smile and a suspicious question. Were you sick? Hard to disguise the tan. (laughs) But while there, I was fascinated by me and my family's reaction to swimming 
in this beautiful, clear, crystal water of the west of Ireland. There was at least, I think at one stage, 21 of us there enjoying my dad and celebrating his retirement. And at different times, we would jump into the sea. And as we did, I would look to see different people's reactions and how they entered the water. There were some classic entries of the bomb dive. There was also those cautious people who would go in one toe at a time and about three hours later would eventually get wet and then come straight back out and dry themselves. But interestingly, as people entered the water, other people would ask them how things were going. Some people would say, ah, yes, it's gorgeous. Or else the classic stock answer was, it's cold, but when you get used to it, it's refreshing. Bracket lie, bracket. (laughs) But in all of these experiences, there was different subjective views to the same thing. Each person had their own personal experience of the same occasion. But there was one objective truth. The water was absolutely freezing. Is there objective truth? Is the water just as cold for everyone? Is the temperature the same, but is experienced differently? Can we read now our passage this morning, which is chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 15 to 23? Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." As we've seen, Paul's letter was written as a response to an urgent need. There was a need for the community to be able to distinguish between false teaching and true teaching. At that time, Paul was writing to a church that existed within a culture that had many different beliefs and value systems, all mingled together. It is widely accepted that the source of the problem that Paul was addressing in his letter was that the Christians were under pressure to conform to the beliefs and practices of their pagan neighbors. 
There are also different views on what actually constituted the Colossian heresy, but a dominant view is that there was a broad spirituality within the city that was influencing the church based on mystical principalities and powers, Iranian mythology and Greek wisdom, and Paul warns the church. He warns them to remember, not in a way that's just theory, but in a way that informed and shaped their daily lives, that Christ the Lord is the mediator of creation and redemption. Verses 15 to 20 are an ancient hymn, but not a hymn in the sense that we might think of an episode of Songs of Praise, but these are words more like a creed. So these are not Paul's words, but Paul intentionally inserts this creed into his letter to the church as a way of reminding the church in Colossae that Christ is Lord. This is a great example of early liturgy, similar to what we just spoke together as a community in our preparation for communion. This ancient hymn was a communal response to and participation in worship. It is interesting to note that this creed is broken into two stanzas. The first is from verse 15 to 18a, and the second is from 18b to 20. But notice that at the start of each stanza, the phrase firstborn is used. The use of the term firstborn is not to be taken that Jesus is the eldest within a family or that Jesus is on a par with creation because we see at verse 16 that it says that creation was made through him and so he is not part of creation but he rules over creation as the firstborn in the sense that he is the one that has a special place in the father's love. In Judaism, the term firstborn was used as a way to describe those who are set apart as supreme, and this is echoed in Psalm 89, verse 27. I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, or the Son of is the image of the invisible God. The very nature and character of God is perfectly revealed in Jesus. And in him, the visible has become visible. The use of the word image points to a revelation of the Father on the one hand and Jesus' pre-existence on the other. Jesus is both prior to and supreme over creation since he is its Lord. Verse 16 all things were created through him and for him. All things, no exceptions. God is the sustainer of the universe and the unifying principle of life. And Jesus is God made visible. God in all his divine essence and power is in Christ. As Christians, we believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who together are the Lord of all creation. It is the Lord that fills the whole world and is the Lord that holds all things together. 
You are part of creation. And you were created. You were created for him and through him. Please accept that today in your heart. Settle it in your heart once and for all. Through Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself. How? Because he's making peace. He's making peace with all of creation. He's making peace with you. Through Christ. This is objective truth. This does not depend on my opinion. It doesn't depend on my circumstances or my experience. This is objective truth. And that leaves me, it leaves you with subjective choice. God has created objective reconciliation. Reconciliation for all. Making a way for personal salvation. Individual peace with God. With ourselves and with others. And what does God ask of us? Surrender. Are we willing to hand over control of our lives, trusting that God loves us? Surrender is hard. It's really, really hard. Surrender is a word mostly used in the context of war. And in that way, it's important to understand that surrender is being informed. All other options have been considered. And surrender has been chosen as the best option. And in that decision, peace has been established. Surrender leads to peace. But you have a choice. You will always have a choice. And so surrender takes courage. A life of faith is made up of many courageous choices as to where we place our trust Paul tells the Colossians to continue in their faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. These early Christians were being influenced by people and a culture who wanted to cling to control and just include Jesus as an option through which they could understand the world. But Paul tells these early Christians to continue to make courageous choices each day, knowing that the Lord holds all things together, all things together. Unemployment, cancer, disappointment, hurt, pain. The Lord holds it all. And that allows us to surrender. Surrender control to God in faith. This is our hope. No matter what we face, no exceptions, the Lord holds all things together. Therefore, we can have faith. The Lord holds all things together, so therefore we can hope. 
the Lord holds all things together so we can love. We, the church, are the forerunner of reconciliation. We, the church, made up of each of us as individuals in our daily lives, are the vehicle to which God's divine reconciliation continues. We, the church, as Christ's body who died with him and who were raised to life with him and with Christ as the head, have been reconciled. And so we continue the work of Christ as a reconciling community. Each of us, as the church, must play our part following God's direction through the Spirit in healing broken relationships, overcoming divisions based on gender, class, race. Each of us are agents of peace and justice in situations of conflict, whether at home, in college, or the workplace, allowing God's kingdom to come here and now through us we represent the coming of a new world, God's kingdom. Do you want to be a part of that? Paul reminded the Colossians of this by reminding them that Christ is supreme and rules over all. It is in the worship of Christ that we are moved and motivated to love And so we, like the Colossians, are to continue in our faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope that is held out in the gospel. Not moved. Stand firm. Psalm 31, verse 5. I give my spirit into your hands. You have made me free. O Lord, God of truth. The psalm continues at verse 24. Be strong. Be strong in heart. All of you who hope in the Lord, be strong in heart. Joshua 25, verse 5, chapter 25, verse 5. Love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways, all of his ways. Obey his commands. Hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's impossible to look at Colossians chapter 1 without thinking of Genesis chapter 1. God the creator. But then as quick as I think of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I think of Genesis chapter 3, Verse 9, when God asks Adam, where are you? Where are you? And God would say to you this morning, where are you? I know you. I know everything about you. But I say, where are you? Come out from behind the rock. The Lord said to Elijah, why are you in the cave? Come, be with me. Spend time with me. Become the person that I have made you to be as part of creation. Take your place in creation. 
take your place in creation and join with creation in singing the song, declaring his glory. In a moment, I'm going to ask Ryan to lead us in that song again, declaring God's glory as people who are part of creation. But before we do, I would love us to spend time in silence as best we can with all of our everyday noises that go on from the trucks outside to the children in the building. But take a moment and reflect and answer the question that God has posed this morning in saying, where are you? Where are you this morning? God knew everything about Adam, but he still asked him, where are you? Be honest before the Lord this morning. Why? Because he's in the business of transformation and he wants to lead you further into his light revealing all of his glory through you for him and for this world. Be a blessing.